Alright, happy Father's Day everyone. Um, yes, it is technically my first Father's Day, uh, but last year in May is when we found out that we were pregnant, so if you count that, it's my second Father's Day. Um, but the staff thought, because I'm the only father on staff, that I was the most capable or the most eligible to preach this sermon today, because we're going into part two of our sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. And the part that I'm preaching is our Father in Heaven, right? And apparently, being a father for four and a half months makes you an expert in the field. Uh, but actually, I'm joking. I actually volunteered because it lined up so well with Father's Day. Um, but because it is Father's Day, before I go into the sermon, and because I have the privilege of speaking today, I thought it was only fitting to start with some dad jokes. <laughs> Uh, thank you. You're welcome, Sam. And you're welcome, Susie. She loves dad jokes. I'm just kidding. She hates it. So we're going to do it anyway. Um, so here's the first one. I once had a dream. I was swimming in an ocean of orange soda. You know, it was more of a fantasy. <laughs> I'll, I'll do six for you because it's June. So there's six. Okay. Second one. You know, it takes guts. To be an organ donor. <laughs> All right. Number three. Why can't you hear a psychiatrist using the bathroom? Because the pee is silent. <laughs> what does a nosy pepper do? This is for you, Susie and David Galvin. It gets jalapeno business. You know, now that I think of it, it's, it's kind of inappropriate to make a dad joke if you're not a dad. It's, it's a bit of a faux pas. <laughs> All right, one more, last one. Here we go. You know, I've got a great joke about construction, but I'm still working on it. All right, thank you for indulging me. Uh, let's get into it today now uh, with the sermon. We're going into part two of seven of our Lord's Prayer series. And last week, uh, Pastor Susie gave an introduction to the Lord's Prayer, and it was about teaching us how to pray, the, that Jesus was teaching his disciples, he was teaching the people that he was preaching um, at, how to pray and what not to pray, actually. She focused on different, people, different ways people approach prayer. And each week, we'll be breaking down a different portion of the Lord's Prayer, and as I previously mentioned today, we'll be focusing on our Father in Heaven. Now, I do want to start off by saying uh, I'll be touching on a lot of stuff that overlaps with what Pastor Susie preached last week. So it may sound familiar, but I hope that it really solidifies uh, what she preached and that it actually builds on what was preached last week. Because, because of how vital it is to our prayer life, and not only our prayer life, but as we'll see, soon see later, our relationship with God. So let's read the passage. Um, I'll be focusing on Matthew 6, verses 9 to 13 today. So if you have your Bibles, I have my trusty Hanyang uh, Korean English Bible with me, but it's in NIV 84. So let's open to Matthew 6, verses 9 to 13. And because my Bible is actually probably the minority, I have the slides for you today. Um, but I encourage you, if you have your Bible, please open it up to Matthew 6. Here we go. This, then, 
is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is God's word. Amen. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. You know, if we look at this prayer and compare it to a letter, this first line would be like the address. If I send a letter to Pastor JP, I would say, Dear John, or Dear JP, or because he's my friend, I would say, Hey, bro, right? And the introduction, in many ways, is a very vital part of the letter because it lays the foundation of that letter. It's the basis of how we write the letter, why we write the letter, what we write in that letter, and who we are writing the letter to. So the person we are addressing in a letter can change the whole fabric of that letter, right? It can change the content, the style, the design. If I wrote a letter to my wife, it would look and sound different than to a letter I wrote to Pastor JP, right? It would sound like this. It would say, dearest beloved, or my lovely wife, something like that, right? But if I wrote a letter to JP, it would be, hey, bro, totally different. Or to take it a step further, if I'm writing a letter to someone I don't even know, for example, if I'm writing a letter to a recommend, like someone asked me for a recommendation letter, and I have no idea who the other person is. I don't even know if they're a male or a female. I would start the letter, letter by saying, dear sir or madam, or even to whom it may concern. Very different from my dearest beloved. So the introduction to this prayer is the starting point of the prayer. If we don't have the starting point right, then everything else will be off. It's like starting a race, facing in the wrong direction. We're supposed to go this way, but we're starting this way. Even if you're off by a little bit, you'll completely miss the mark. But Jesus isn't only giving us the starting point of prayer. He's also giving us the starting point of our relationship with God. He's showing us who we're praying to. Our Father. Not our King. Not our Lord. Not our Creator. Not our righteous judge, not even our friend. Even though God is all these things, he's saying, our Father. Jesus presents to us that the foundation of our prayer and the way that we should relate to God first and foremost is as our Father. I thought about this concept, and I was thinking about what analogy could work. And I thought, how weird would it be if my son grows up and he addresses me as something other than dad? Or Appa, right? If my son comes up to me one day, he's like a teenager, he says, Hey, Pastor David. It's like, Hey, Reverend. That's pretty weird, right? Or even weirder, Oh, Creator, that has created me from thy loins. That would be really weird, right? Even if this is technically true, it's still weird. Or if he, even worse, if he came up to me and said, Hey, buddy. Hey, pal. I'd be like, What the? You know what, Jesse? Right? Of course, it is my hope and prayer that I can relate to my son as a friend. I can have an intimate relationship with him and talk with him and play with him and have, a relation, have that kind of relationship with my son. But the foundation of my relationship at, to my son is as a father. 
And it's the same with God. God is king. God is Lord. God is creator. God is the righteous judge. But he is, first and foremost, our father. Jesus is showing us that this is also the foundation of our relationship with him. It's the starting point. In essence, in an essence, Jesus is defining the relationship. Right? He's DTRing. And this is actually revolutionary. Why? Because no one in human history had related to God in this way. If you read the Hebrew Bible, if you read the Old Testament of what we call the Bible, right? The word for God is not actually written out. We call him Yahweh now, but the word that they put there was Y-H-W-H, short for Yahweh. But they didn't even say that word. They said Adonai, which means Lord. So this is how even Jews related to God. And no other religion in history or even today relates to God as a father because they think that's too intimate. Such a holy and righteous person or, or God cannot relate to people in this way. But Jesus says, our father. And to emphasize this, he actually doesn't say just in this prayer, if you read the the chapters before and the chapters after, I think Pastor Susie mentioned this, it's written 18 times, your father in heaven or your heavenly father, right? It's mentioned 18 times in 5, 6, and 7, but in chapter 6 alone where the prayer is found, it's mentioned 12 times. In defining our relationship with God, that God is our father, Jesus is also saying something about us, right? He's saying something about our identity, we are given an identity when Jesus defines God as Father. I am a child of God. I am his son. On what grounds? Notice the phrasing that Jesus uses, our Father. He doesn't say, my Father, even though that's true. Jesus is God's only begotten Son, right? He says, our Father. Don't you see what's happening? Jesus is bringing us into the same relationship that he has with God. And notice that there's a communal aspect as well. He doesn't say your father. He doesn't say my father. He doesn't say not just you or me. He says us. He's inviting us into this relationship. We receive the same identity and benefits that Jesus has with the father. And that's the beauty of the gospel message. That's the whole purpose of why Jesus came. That God's only son, who had a loving, intimate relationship with the father, left his heavenly throne to be with us, to take on our humanly frame and to die for us the death we should have died, then to be raised to life and ascend back to heaven, then send his spirit to be with us and to bring us into his family that we can call Jesus our brother and each other brothers and sisters. This is the gift that, that we don't have to work for. It's not earned by how many times we say a certain prayer or earned by how much money we give on a Sunday. It's a gift by grace, to be called sons of God. If we look at Romans 8, 14 to 17, Apostle Paul says this, those who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. 
And in John 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples and future believers. And he says this, let the world know that you have loved them even as you have loved me. So we share in the love of Christ. We share in the status. We share in the inheritance of Christ. You know, for the longest time, this was the hardest thing for me to grasp because I had um, grown up in a Christian household and I grew up as a pastor's kid. I mentioned this in like every sermon that I preach, but it's very easy for me to see God as this God who we merely serve. We we serve him and he's a distant king. He's like this far away distant king. He's a righteous judge. He's like this big, bad, scary judge that if we don't appease, if we don't do the right things, then he'll be mad at us, right? We need to follow his commandments. We need to live a moral life. We need to go to church every week. We need to give our tithes every month. We need to serve at church. So church didn't become a joyful place for me. I was only involved in ministry because my parents pushed me to. And it was more of an obligation than an act of love. I went to church because I had to. And I believe growing up in a Korean household also magnified this idea that God was this distant, stoic, authority figure. I say this because a lot of times, I would say almost 99% of the time, the way that we view our earthly fathers, more often than not, shapes the way that we view God. It was the same for me. Like many Koreans my relationship with my father was pretty non-existent. Outside of serving at church together, we didn't really interact much. The only time my dad and I interacted was when he was telling me what to do or when he would reprimand me for not doing something or doing something wrong. And that relationship that I had with my dad defined the way that I saw God as well. So this realization, this revelation that my, the essence of my relationship with God is of love and not of obedience or judgment or discipline. It changed the fabric of the whole relationship itself. First John 3 says this, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. If we get the starting point of our relationship with God right, that God is our Father, that He loves us, that he cares for us, he wants to be intimate, he wants to be close with us, that we can approach him as a son, as a child approaches a father. Then we can approach him in prayer in a way that is impossible without this kind of relationship. Now, I do want to say, I bring up my personal example because it's the experience that I grew up with, but I don't want to limit my kind of relationship to only people with Korean pastors as fathers, right? I'm sure whether you grew up in an Asian or white or Mexican or black or or even have a Muslim or Buddhist or non-religious background, you can have a similar experience to me and you can have a similar view of what God is like. And I also want to say that the opposite could be true. Just because you have a Korean pastor as a dad doesn't mean he was, doesn't mean he can't be a great father, even though all the uh, Korean PKs that I've talked to, it doesn't seem very likely. But, Maybe your dad was the exception. Also, I'm, trying, I'm not trying to say that my dad was this evil or terrible person. I love my dad very much. And uh, I understand that he made a lot of sacrifices for our family. And I understand that his childhood didn't look very loving either. He was actually the second youngest of 11 uh, 
kids. So I'm sure that he didn't have much love received from his father as well. But I'm also realistic. And I will say that my father fell short of meeting my needs and desires. And I think a lot of fathers, especially Korean fathers, um, find it hard to show emotion or any sort of affection to their children because it's not manly, right? Let me just say this. Get that stupid thought out of your head right now, guys, because that is nonsense. Just because you say, I love you to your child does not make you less manly. Just because you say, I'm proud of you, child, doesn't make you less of a man, right? In fact, one of the best things that you could do is to affirm your child. Before Jesus did anything in his ministry, when he's baptized by John the Baptist, what, what happens? The heavens opened up, and a dove representing the Holy Spirit comes down, and a voice from heaven says this, You are my son, whom I love. In you, I am well pleased. You're my son. I love you. I'm proud of you. Before Jesus did any miracle on this earth, before Jesus went into any ministry, before he even saved a single soul, before he even healed a single leper, before he even turned water into wine, he gets this affirmation from God saying, you're my son, I love you, and I'm proud of you. Wow. The sad truth is that all fathers fall short of this mark. Even me, as much as I want to be a great dad to my son, I will, sh- I will fall short of satif- satisfying my child's desire to be loved, to be secure, to be safe. Even your dad, thank you, whether they were a good father or a bad father, they can never fulfill that desire of fulfillment that God can fulfill. Why? It's because we're broken. It's because we're selfish. We're imperfect. But the good news is, our Heavenly Father is a good Father to the ultimate sense. He's a perfect Father. Now what does perfection look like? Let's look at the verse again. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in Heaven. Almost every time Jesus refers to God as Father in chapters 5 to 7, it is either preceded by the phrase Heavenly Father or followed by the phrase Your Father in Heaven. Heaven is the place where God's rule and reign and His will are being lived out perfectly. And this brings us back to the identities that I kind of trashed earlier. God the King. God the Righteous Judge. God the Creator. If we present only one side of God, that he's loving, that he's compassionate, that he's merciful, we get an incomplete picture of who God really is. Yes, he is loving. Yes, he is intimate. And he knows our every need. But he is also a God of justice and righteousness. When Jesus prays, our Father in heaven, he's teaching us the full picture of what God looks like. God is loving and holy. God is merciful and and just. God is perfect. One of the things that my wife and I asked each other before we had our baby was what kind of parent we wanted to be. And usually in, when you become parents, one parent is a good cop and one parent is the bad cop. Basically, who's going to discipline the child, right? 
So we threw out some ideas like, oh, if we have a girl, then she can do it. And if we have a boy, then I can do it. But honestly, as we kept thinking about it more and more, we kept coming back to the thought that we should both be the good cop and the bad cop. We should both be able to reprimand the baby when they're doing wrong. and We should both be there when they need someone to run to. When I look back at my childhood and when I talk to my friends who are also uh, disciplined by their parents, we all realize that the parent that disciplined us did it out of love. When I talk to my brother about this, I have an older brother and a younger sister. I don't think my sister was ever spanked because she was very yamjane or she was very calm as a baby. But when I talk to my brother about uh, our experiences of being spanked, we have very different experiences. I think it's because we're so different personality-wise, but my mom, when she would spank my brother, he would grit his teeth. He would just clamp down and she would spank him, right? And he'd be like, mm, anapa, it doesn't hurt, right? She would spank him again, like, even harder. He's like, anapa, anapa, right? And she would keep spanking him and spanking him until he started crying because I guess he was very stubborn. Me, on the other hand, the moment I knew that I did something wrong, I would look to my mom and give her like the teary eyes and be like, ah! and I'd start crying immediately, right? But she would still spank me because I did something wrong and I needed to be disciplined. So we were very different experiences. But of, even though we were very different, when I talked to my brother about our experiences, we realized that it must have been much harder for our mom to have to discipline her children that she loved so much, that she cared about so much, that she didn't want us to make the same mistakes or make the wrong decisions again. Discipline and justice for the sake of love. One of the saddest things that my mom told me was that she would usually cry when hitting us. And after, she would immediately hug us and say, 엄마, 너 사랑하는 거 알지? You know, mom loves you, right? Of course, I don't remember that part at all. She had to tell me when I was an adult. I only remember the beatings. And there was even one time I cut my mom's face out of a family photo because I was mad at her. <laughs> so as a child, I didn't understand. I didn't understand, but she did it out of love. It's the same with God. But to an immeasurable amount greater. He has none of the imperfections of our parents. Some earthly parents beat their kids for no reason, right? They're just mad. They're frustrated by a situation. They start beating their kids. Some parents don't even discipline their children. And their kids become terrible people. (laughs) But God is a perfect God. He's a perfect father. Full of love and justice, righteousness and faithfulness. He's a God that demands holiness and righteousness, yet is full of grace and mercy. If we look at Exodus 34... The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Psalm 85 says this, Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. In the message version, it says this, Love and truth meet in the street, right living and whole living embrace and kiss. These stories about how God is full of grace and mercy, but also just is 
found throughout the Bible. Just this past week, I was reading uh, Jonah. If you're keeping along with the Bible reading plan, we read Jonah. And it's basically a story about how God wants to bring judgment on this city called Nineveh. And he wants to send Jonah, a prophet, to tell them that there is impending doom coming because of your sins. But the purpose of God telling them that is not to just say, haha, I'm going to destroy you. He's saying, repent, turn from your ways. And right when Jonah says this, they do that. They fast and they turn from their wicked ways and God has mercy on them. And he doesn't bring the doom that he, that he promised, right? But the sad thing is, Jonah, a person, he gets mad at God for showing mercy. He says, why God? I knew that you would show mercy. That's why I didn't want to come just shows how broken and selfish humans are compared to God. And we see this in the image of Christ as well, God's Son. John 1 says this, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Aren't you glad God is a God of love and justice. If God was merely a God of love, then injustices would not be repaid. Wrongs would not be made right. Yet God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. If God were merely a God of grace but no truth, then we wouldn't know what was right and what is wrong. But he says this, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. This is the person that we get to write this letter to. This is the kind of person we get to pray to. One who is worthy of our worship, as we'll see next week. One who, whose will is perfect, as we'll see the week after. One who can provide for our needs. One who can provide even the smallest things, our daily needs. Give us this day our daily bread. One who is powerful enough to forgive our debts. One who can prevent us from going down the wrong path. One who can redeem us from evil. And who has redeemed us from evil. Because of his love for us. This is the father that we have in heaven. This is the God that we get to love. This is the God that loves us. Now my question to you is this. Do you know this father? Do you know this God? Maybe you grew up like me where you didn't know this kind of God. You didn't know this kind of father. You had an abusive father. You had a father that was oblivious to what your needs were, that ignored you, that only worked for himself. Maybe you had a father that was a really good father, but still fell short of what our heavenly father could give. Do you know this father? Because if you don't, you'll miss the mark. You'll be writing to whom it may concern, rather than dearest Father. Let's pray.